Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Hallelujah. Want to again just reiterate what Pastor Craig said. We're so grateful for all who made last night possible, and uh, Jessica Smith and all you who served. Uh, what a blessing it was to see Christ manifested. That being said, we're continuing today with our series, God's People, a Biblical Response to Racism. I want to read two scriptures up front, the first being Proverbs chapter 14, beginning in verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Then Romans 15.1, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. I want to preach a message today titled Kingdom Vision. Kingdom Vision. Vision. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, the best I know how, I yield to the Holy Spirit. Lord, because unless you build your house, build your people, we labor in vain. Lord, I am unashamed to acknowledge our need for the supernatural work of your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do in the lives of your people and the lives of those you've created. Build your church. May the gates of hell not prevail according to your word. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, before I continue with that story, i got to clarify up front. Though I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, when it comes to sports, I'm a Kentucky fan. I don't want to blaspheme here in the pulpit this morning, so I, I need to clarify that up front, moving on. But growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, when I was growing up, there was something called busing. And what that meant was, is in elementary school, when I began in public school, I lived in the south end of the town, but I got bused all the way to the west end of town. Meaning, I spent a lot of hours on the school bus. Meaning, we got in a lot of trouble. Just imagine one school bus driver whose main purpose is to get the children somewhere safely, but then you got 40 rascals in the back, no seat belts. I mean, some wild stuff happened. But we would get picked up there at our streets, and we would go to what was called a compound, where about 20-plus or so buses would gather. You'd have to wait until every bus got there. I mean, the chance of making it to school on time was always like rolling the dice. But once all the buses would get there, then you'd get off the bus that picked you up at your house, and you'd go to the bus or buses that was assigned to then go to your school. Literally, just one way in the morning, I would be on the bus a minimum of an hour, including being at the bus compound and the double journey. One of my first girlfriends in elementary school was LaToya. Now, I'm not sure where you are from, but where I'm from, people named LaToya don't look like me. When my mom first began allowing me to call people 
on the phone. This was in elementary school. Uh, one of the first people I would call and that would call me was my friend Jerome. And he wasn't Latin for you uh, biblical history, biblical scholars. You might get that joke. But I played on school basketball teams made up of people with white and black skin. There were very few Latinos in Louisville back then, so I decided to marry one who's serving in the kids' ministry today, Michelle. Now, for some of you here and some listening, this was not your experience. Maybe you grew up when there was still laws for segregation here in this nation. Maybe some grew up in a context where though segregation was no longer a law, segregation was still the result in your school or in your neighborhood. And I bring all of this up to say all of this plays a role in the issue of seeing and relating to other ethnicities and people not like us. And let me just say up front that just because of my upbringing and through busing and other things like that that allowed me from an early age to be around people that did not look like me or come from the same neighborhood as me, that doesn't necessarily equate to me never having any racial tendencies or needing to grow in kingdom eyes or kingdom vision. This brings us to the first of one of our main texts today, Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Notice that. The spirit of wisdom through Solomon says sin is a reproach to any group of people. Sin is a reproach to people who are white. Sin is a reproach to people who are colored. Sin is a reproach to people who are brown. Sin is a reproach to all people. If you weren't an English major like myself... Let me clarify, reproach means fault or disgrace. The Spirit of Wisdom says that where there's sin, fault comes with sin. Disgrace comes where there is sin. And sin is a reproach to any nation. It's a reproach to God's people. When you and I, or when we participate in the sins taking place in the nation at large. Sin is a reproach, period. It brings fault. It brings disgrace. And when it comes to racism, let's be clear, racism is sin. Are you willing to say that with me today? Say it with me. Racism is sin. But racism is not just an American problem. Racism is not just a white people problem. Racism is an old creation problem. I remember doing short-term missions a couple of times in the country of Malaysia. And in Malaysia, Malaysia is made up of three ethnicities. There are the Malays, Chinese, and Indians. There's a lot of racism in the country, and that, of course, allows you to go and to connect with the Chinese or the Indians because the Malays pretty much, for the most part, let what happens among them take place. There is this distinction in racism. And so whether you're here in America or whether I was there in Malaysia, you find out that racism is an old creation problem. 
And it is a reproach, period. But listen to me, friends. It's definitely a reproach to the new creation people, the people of God. I want to ask each of you a question, and this is a response type of moment and question here. Are you ready for it? I believe I have them put it up. If it takes five machines, five minutes to make five widgets, how long would it take a hundred machines to make a hundred widgets? Hundred minutes? We got any other hundred minutes? Everybody's nervous right now. The right answer is five minutes. Five minutes. This is a question from the CRT test. The cognitive reflection test. Oh, you thought the other CRT. Sorry. I understand in this context you could get confused. No, this is the cognitive reflection test. It was invented by the Yale professor Shane Frederick. And it measures your ability to understand when something is more complex than it appears. To move past impulsive answers to deeper analytic judgments. And can I tell all of us today and those listening, and we welcome those that are streaming live, those that will listen later by the podcast, when it comes to the issue of racism, your ability to understand that it is more complex than it appears is a must. It's a must. It is a must. Personally, I have seldom experienced clear, undeniable words or acts of racism against me. I told you not too long ago that one of the first really significant times that I encountered it was not too long ago when Michelle and I were in Asheville, North Carolina. But personally, I hadn't experienced much. And I mention this because it brings us to the issue of being a part of the majority. Did you know from the recent 2020 census that white alone, those who responded as being white alone in the census, make up 204.3 million people in our country. Hispanic or Latino was 62.1 million. It grew by 23%. Black or African American was 46.9 million. Grew by 14.2%. The Asian... Response was 19.9 million. Watch this, making up only 6% of those who live in the United States. But do you know what increased the most? Was those who identified with multi-combinations. It's interesting. It grew by 276%. Now some of that is because they began to have new options in the census where people for the first time saw an ability to identify Uh, through a multi-combination. But they only make up 10.2%. I say all this to say that notice again, those that responded as white alone, 204.3 million, still the majority. Asian was within the major categories, actually the minority. And what's interesting, do you know that in the census, do you know whose medium income 
is the highest among the census and among the categories? The Asian community. The Asian community. The minority. This is very interesting. All this leads me, secondly, to talking about majority authority. We kicked off this month's series looking at the Tower of Babel when I was in the pulpit two weeks ago. And we remember, hopefully, that in Genesis 11.1 it says that now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And then verse 4 says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. In the beginning, God created one human race from one blood, from that one man, Adam, in the garden. And in Genesis 11, there was one language within the one race. There was one ethnicity, one culture, one speech. And this one ethnicity said, Come, let us build ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Here we see the effects of Genesis 3. Here we see the effects of sin and selfishness on the old fallen human race. We see sin and selfishness as an example here, working in and through the majority in authority. Maybe today you say, what does sin and selfishness look like when it's working through the majority of those that are in authority? What does it look like? What does it act like? You see it right here. The default of the majority is to look out for themselves. The default of the majority of those in authority is always to look out for their own or for their own group. Notice that they said, let us build for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. This is what sin and selfishness does in and through the old fallen human race. Let us build something for ourselves and for those like us. Let us build something for those that are like me. This is the tendency of our fallenness, the fallenness of mankind, to protect our own, to protect those that look like us, to protect our group. And when you have a majority who are in authority... This is how sin and selfishness seeks to be expressed. Let's build for our just us things that are to our advantage. Let us build things that benefit us and, and for our name and make us great, but to the hindrance or the resistance of those not like us. This brings up the issue of mob mentality. Mob mentality also called Herd mentality describes how humans adopt behaviors. How we buy merchandise and follow trends based on their circle of influence. It explains how one's point of view can be easily altered by those around them. Mob mentality psychology can impact pop culture, political ideas, and even the stock market behavior. Like Friday. Friday the stock market should have been down. It went up because of herd mentality, not because of good logic thinking. But that's another message for another day. Mob mentality. Trends. Trends. Of how 
we get motivated and swept up into momentum and influence, sometimes very subconsciously, when we are in a group of people. That could be dangerous. Be very dangerous. And this brings us to the biblical call for perfection. Now remember, the word perfection in the New Testament is used to represent maturity. It's different than how we think of perfection in the English language. But in Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, hey, we're all called as children of God to be imitators of God. We're called to mature in Christ. We're called to mature in the image. And there's this call to maturity. It's what I call the call to be perfect. And Jesus uses these words in Matthew 5 and verse 43. Watch this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. I bless someone today who honked, cursed me, behind me. And if I would have gave in to their mom mentality, there would have been a wreck. But they stayed behind me for a while and I saw where they turned into. They turned into Martins. They were hungry for their chicken biscuit. That's what it was. So I blessed them. I said, Father, it's okay. They're just hungry. Give them peace. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Watch this. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here Jesus, when He begins to describe the culture of His kingdom, He begins to talk about the call for maturity, the call for the perfect, to be like our Father, to learn to be an imitate, imitator of His culture, of His heart. And He says, listen, that groups look out for themselves. Tax collectors greet tax collectors. Tax collectors seek to bless of their tax collectors. He's talking about mob mentality. He's talking about how sin and selfishness working through groups look out for themselves. But he says, hey, if you're my disciple, if you want to grow towards the perfect and mature into my image and reflect the Father and reflect the kingdom of heaven on earth, he says, should you not do more than others? Can I tell you that the grace of the Father through the gospel of Jesus Christ, enables us to do more than others. It enables us to do more than just herd mentality and a group mentality and just looking out for ourselves and just looking out for people that are like us. That the grace of God enables us to be able to see bigger than just our own group, our own kind, our own benefit of building things just for our own name and for our own sake, to the neglect of the good of others. Oh, thank God for the grace of God. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that allows us to be able to be empowered, to be able to do more than others. There's a call because there's grace to empower us for the call to be able to do more 
than others. That we don't have to just look out for ourselves. We don't have to just look out for our own. We don't have to just build things for ourselves and seek to make and protect a name just for ourselves. That the grace of God can enable us to do more than others. Oh, hallelujah. This brings us to Romans 15 and verse 1 where our second main text is found. It says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Remember we talked about this two weeks. We don't have to be like-minded regarding what sports teams we cheer for. But we are called to be like-minded according to the things that are according to Christ Jesus and His kingdom. Why? Because we're called towards the perfect, the mature, and to the mind of Christ. To think the way He thinks. To see the way He sees. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Notice here Paul says, listen, Basically, if any of you are strong, is there any strong among you? Well, if you're strong, then you ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. If you are strong, if you're a part of the the strength of the majority, or if you're strong financially, or strong relationally, or strong in your connections, you who are strong are to use your strength to bear and help those that are weak among you. He says, look to the Lord. Look what He did. The Lord of heaven never sinned against the Father, but He came to this earth and He allowed the reproaches you and I committed against the Father to fall upon Him. He allowed our issues to become His issues. Paul says, listen, let each of us please not just ourselves." Let us not just look to make a name for ourselves. Let us not just look out for ourselves. But let's also see how we can please and help our neighbor. Leading to, watch this, mutual edification. Do you know God's big enough to build an economy, to build something great that's good enough, stable enough for all people of all ethnicities? Do you know that the gospel of God is big enough that He's able to prepare a table that's big enough for all ethnicities and people? Do you know our God isn't stingy and weak and limited? That He can open up a table of benefit, of promises and provisions and sufficiency and supply for all people? Oh, hallelujah. And the mind of Christ then says, if I'm strong, if we're strong, how can we help those that are still weak? Listen, for you and I to stay strong, we don't have to try to keep others weak. God's got enough strength for all. He's got enough open doors for all. He's got enough jobs for all. He's got enough creativity and empowerment for all. Oh, hallelujah. 
So those that are weak due to power structures, those that are weak due to not being a part of the majority authority, says, hey, those of us who are strong, those of us that might make up the majority authority, don't just build for yourselves. Don't just build for those that's like you. Don't just live to please yourselves. Think about your neighbor. Think about the weak. Think about those who are not yet strong. Now, listen to me. You and I can't get here nor stay here if we haven't followed Jesus and the Holy Spirit through Romans chapters 1 through 14. That's why there's 14 chapters before Paul says this. Listen to me. As beautiful as this sounds, and as much as we might long to see it, it will not happen and cannot be sustained if you don't get a group of God's people who have walked hand in hand with Jesus and followed Him and depended on the power of the Holy Spirit through chapters 1 and 14. Because that begins to build the ability for it to be able to be stable and consistent. This is why two weeks ago we looked at the call to discipleship and the call to transformation. And that's why Paul spends those chapters talking about foundational elements, transformational elements, and formational elements before he begins to talk about these impartational elements. Now, as I mentioned before, though I've experienced very little clear intentional acts of acts or words of racism against me personally, I did experience a good bit of basketball bias. When I would go into gyms growing up, there was this bias that because of my height or the color of my skin, I couldn't jump or I couldn't play. We had the privilege we would go and play, play in leagues that were not in our part of town. And so there was leagues that I played in growing up where we were the only team that had skin that looked like mine. And in those contexts, when you're the minority, there's biases. But it was fun memories, because by the end of the league and the tournament, oh, I won over a lot of people that weren't like myself. Believe it or not, in those early days, they thought that one day I'd play for Kentucky, I promise you. But that's before we all knew that once puberty came and things like that, I wouldn't continue to grow nor excel on the basketball court. But those early days, there was some dreams happening. But this brings us to the next issue of cultural biases and assumptions. A bias is a particular tendency, trend, inclination, feeling, or opinion. Also, it can be defined as hostile feelings or opinions about a social group. In Acts chapter 28, verse 1, I want us to read this text, and as you begin to turn your attention to it, Paul has been on a ship because he's heading to Rome for trial because he appealed to Caesar. And they had been stuck in a storm for 14 days, and they were on a forced fast, not eating. The ship gets broken up. They're in the storm of life. God spares the lives of everyone on the ship as long as they stayed connected to Paul. That's what the text says. Read it. And they get washed up on this island. And then we pick up the story here in Acts 28 and verse 1. Now when they had escaped, that's the storm, they then found out that the island was called Malta. Now if you're any of my Hispanic friends here, oh, I could use a good Malta right now. You know what I'm talking about? If not, that's okay. But 
they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Verse 3, But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now watch this, verse 4. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt. Everybody say, No doubt. This man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice, everybody say justice, does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Here we see, listen, cultural biases and assumptions. Now this culture demonstrated great hospitality. Here, these people just coming out of the storm of their life wash up on their shores and they show unusual kindness to them, unusual hospitality to them. But they also have in their culture this bias and assumption that once Paul gets bit by a viper, that though he escaped the storm, the reason he's about to die is because he's guilty. He's a murderer. And watch this, they have no doubt about the matter. Can I tell you that confidence ain't always a good thing? And they said, no doubt this is justice being served. And notice it says they watch him for a long time. Listen, many times it takes a long time for cultural assumptions and biases to fall. For the no doubt, the sense of confidence, but though it's unfounded, to begin to crack. Because we need cracks before seeds can be dropped. And here's the point. As God's people, when it comes to cultural biases and assumptions, we demolish cultural biases through the rock of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ being manifested. Here we see that the kingdom of God through Christ is manifested through Paul. Jesus said, if you take up serpents, they shall not harm you. He wasn't talking about intentionally. He's talking about right here. He's talking about if this happens, that there's divine protection, those living on mission, to override people's cultural assumptions so a crack can come in their confidence where they have no doubt, where they can understand kingdom justice, kingdom culture, the ways of God that are higher than our ways and His thoughts that are higher than our thoughts. My point is, is all of us come from a culture or a subculture and as I mentioned two weeks ago, because of that culture and subculture we come from, there is already formed within us assumptions and biases that do not reflect the thoughts of God or the ways of God and you and I first have to be willing to not stand in a place of no doubt I'm right but have some vulnerability in the presence of God that says, Lord, if there's anything from my father's or my upbringing that's not in line with now you, my heavenly father and my king and your kingdom, start with me. I think of the woman at the well. She 
raised a Samaritan. She had cultural biases and assumptions. She tells Jesus one of them in John 4, 20. She says, listen, our fathers for generations has worshipped on this mountain. You know what Jesus said? He said what we all need to grow to learn to be, to be conformed to His image. He said, no, God the Father is looking for those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Notice, Jesus speaks truth, but it's truth empowered by the Spirit of grace. And that takes maturing. We've talked about it repeatedly from this pulpit, how you and I, based on our personality, based on our upbringing, are more inclined to one of those others. We're very graceful, we're very merciful, or we're very truth-oriented. Jesus embodies, no, 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 we speak the truth, but it's got to be empowered by the right spirit, spirit of grace. So the question for you and I is this. Here is a woman who has cultural assumptions and biases that have been formed in us. Our fathers have always worshipped on this mountain. And we're right, this is where we worship God. The question then is, when Jesus speaks the truth by the spirit of grace that our fathers worshipped wrong, how do we respond? That's the challenge. That's the question for you and I. Because there's not one of us here as a follower of Jesus, if you keep following Him at some point, you are not going to have a woman at the well moment with Jesus where you say, Lord, we've always done things this way. I was always taught. I was brought up this way. And Jesus says, but the Father is looking for those that will do this. This brings us now to kingdom vision. Kingdom vision. Colossians 3, 9 and 11, Paul begins to, of course, be used of God to write the majority of the New Testament and to describe this kingdom vision, this, this kingdom vision of a new race, a human race called the new creation race, the people of God. And he begins to describe the, the kingdom vision, the picture of what this new race would look like and how we would live practically and, and the implications of it. In Colossians 3 and verse 9, he says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old creation, the old man, the old humanity with his deeds. Verse 10, And have put on the new man, the new creation, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Watch this, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Wow. Here's what Paul says. He says, hey, we're new creation. We are now created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4.24. We have been brought forth by the word of salvation, the gospel of truth, as a kind of first fruits of the new creation of God. But he says, you and I are only renewed. That word means strengthen. That word means re receive fresh vitality through the knowledge of the image we were created in. So as God's people, we can be a part of the new humanity, but you and I won't be strengthened to demonstrate who we are and the new humanity and the new people of God if we ain't strengthened by the knowledge of the image we're created in. Now, this is important. Even as God's people, 
if we keep getting strengthened by the earthly images, assumptions, and biases that we have received growing up, then we'll continue to demonstrate aspects of sin and selfishness and the old creation. But if you and I will learn to have the rhythms of grace and utilize His Word which is like a mirror to us and to be in His presence and and to worship God and spend time with Him, then by the Spirit we can see Jesus. Watch this. And when you see Jesus, it strengthens you in your spirit. Why? Because you and I were made in the image of Jesus. So here's the point. The new creation race, the people of God, is strengthened by revelation knowledge of the image we were created in, the image of Jesus Christ. You and I can't know what all the kingdom of God looks like and acts like without us getting revelation knowledge on who Jesus is. Why? Because we were made in His image. Listen, the new creation people of God were not made in the image of our fathers, of our upbringing, come on, of our own group. The new creation humanity was made in the image of Jesus Christ. And that's why two weeks ago I talked about the foundation of Christ being all in all. Until Christ is all in all of God's people, you and I will not be able to see through kingdom vision clearly how we are to act, react, or demonstrate the culture of the kingdom of God and imitate our Heavenly Father. Paul continues on then in Colossians 4, verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Here it is, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Wow. It brought up the thought to me. Maybe it's when we get away from the mob, Maybe it's when we take time to get away from our group and spend time seeing Jesus that then, with God's help, we can learn to see each one or each person. Notice what he says here. He says, yes, walk towards those that are outside the faith. Walk towards the world around you. Walk towards the the people around you. But he says, as you walk towards them, be prepared to do what? That you may know how to answer the whole group? No, each one. That's what we see Jesus doing with the woman at the well. Listen, he wasn't preaching to all the Samaritans that day. He was preaching to one. And he demonstrates how to answer the one. How to minister to the one. So often, people get in a trap or fall when it comes to dealing with the topic that we're looking at this month is because they want to start from nowhere and nothing and go right to trying to solve or speaking to large groups regarding the issue. Listen, it's very hard to be sensitive to God's Spirit and speaking to a large group if we don't yet have kingdom eyes to be able to see the individual person. Listen, it's easy to label groups. It's easy to dismiss groups. It's easy to just label groups. It's a lot harder to be sensitive to see the one. 
that you and I would know how to answer the one. See, listen, stereotypes literally is the lazy way. Stereotypes is the lazy way for our mind. There's so many things in life. Stereotypes is the easy way for our mind to try to just come to terms or at peace and the complexity of a group of people. It's a lot easier to say, oh, I understand those people than learning to get kingdom vision to see the one person and know how you ought to answer them. Stereotypes is the lazy way. I don't want to take the time to get to know the one to see the person in front of me and not see them through the lens of what I heard about that group or what's been said about that group, but to understand I'm dealing with an individual made in the image of God, that God knows everything about them, that He sent Jesus to rescue them from their sin and from Satan and to be able in that moment to know how I ought to answer and minister to the one. The one. So maybe it's when you and I learn to draw away from the crowd spend time with the one King Jesus, that then we can be empowered to not just see groups of people and try to label groups of people, but to learn to see the one, the individual. The one. Seeing the person, not the stereotype. Because you remember CRT? Things are more complex than they initially appear. Why people act the way they act is more complex than it just seemingly appears. That's why the exhortation of Scripture is learning how you and I ought to answer the one. The one. Kingdom vision. 1 Corinthians 9, come on whoever's on the keys, verse 19, Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews, to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, but not being without law towards God, because I'm under the law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law, verse 22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Here we see Paul's missionary apostolic gift functioning. Paul was graced of God as a missionary apostle and he had this grace about him to be able to look for bridges and ways to identify with people not like him. Why? With the motivation that they would be saved. That they would come to know the beauty of Christ, the Christ that he used not to believe, the Christ that he used to believe was a deceiver and a liar, yet he met him and the Christ spoke truth to him, but with the grace that was able to transform Saul to Paul. A misfit, fighting against God but didn't know it, into a missionary for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And his motivation was to win people. You say, Pastor Chad, what motivation do you and I have to, to learn how to see the one? How to heed the call of transformation that we are called to be able to do more than others because of God's grace. The motivation is, is that Jesus died for them. He died for the one regardless of ethnicity, regardless of group they make up. 
And remember, we're called to the perfect. We're called to mature to the image of Jesus Christ. Meaning, you and I are called to mature in the participation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So you and I are called to mature in learning how to manifest the culture of the kingdom of God to those around us. We are called to learn how to get outside of things that would just please ourselves. And to the Jew, be like a Jew. To the person that has a different colored skin than us, to learn how to be like them. That, they, that we might win them, that we might begin to have respect with them for the gospel's sake, to manifest Christ to them, to manifest the hope of all the nations, to manifest God's one way to bring people of different backgrounds, personalities, ethnicities, financial status together. That through one man He would create one new humanity reconciled to one Father, participating in one gospel, one baptism into His body, one spirit, one faith. We're called to mature. And the more mature we get, then we begin to become the strong, and the stronger to look out for the weak. God's got grace that you and I can do more when it comes to kingdom vision. You see the great example of Martin Luther King, and I read again, is I have a dream speech this week. And though he up front in that speech, when you see it, acknowledges the still challenges. And yet even in the challenges and the injustice, he still unwavered from kingdom vision. He said, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a A dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. What's so striking to me is I didn't grow up in Georgia. But I live in the red hill clay of Georgia. I deal with red clay all the time on my driveway, on the bottom of my tires of my vehicles. And I think about how there on the red hill of Georgia, God has just allowed just a little kingdom manifestation. Just a little demonstration of the fruit of His seed. Where a gospel table's in that home at the red clay where people that don't look like me, people with black skin and brown skin, people from a different upbringing, people with a different original language in mine, sit at a gospel table of fellowship right there in my kitchen. Right there on the red clay hills of Georgia. That though I don't know of any lineage of slave owners, my family came to America late from Scotland. But yet right there you see a little manifestation of a man who held to a dream in the spite of all affliction, in the spite of everything that looked contrary. My point is this, that when it comes to outward change and outward manifestation, it doesn't come 
great displays like you and I want to see. The religious asked Jesus, how will we know when your kingdom comes? He says it won't come with such large observation, but it comes like a seed. For you and I to sustain the call of God to mature in Christ, for you and I to sustain drawing from the grace of God to learning out how to display the kingdom of God and to engage culture and to see the one around us, you have to learn to get kingdom vision on sowing kingdom seeds of learning not to get weary in well-doing, that no, it doesn't manifest as fast as we want to see it. Stats and the news and statistics are slow to show the change, but the kingdom of God comes like a seed. It comes in little moments that manifest in the midst of despair, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of hurt. There still is a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of unity, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of forgiveness and mercy. For you and I, we're called to have a kingdom vision that despite where it looks like enough things haven't changed and there's not been enough progress, we don't become weary and well-doing, but we keep by faith through kingdom vision sowing seeds of the kingdom. Maturing in the image of Christ, of learning to see the one, learning that at my table, people that grew up not like me, people that don't look like me, that don't have the same origin of language like me, that at the kingdom gospel table, at my table, there's room for you. That we will be a people that learns to open doors for those that's not had doors open for them. That we will be people as God's people that will long to make outsiders become insiders at the gospel table of brotherhood and the fellowship of the kingdom of God. That we won't allow our differences to build walls to keep us from being passionate that people would know the mercy and the love and the goodness of God we know in Jesus Christ. But we would continue to sow kingdom seeds believing for gospel manifestations. That there would be pockets and moments all around the country and all around the nations where the kingdom of God is breaking in. Where the blood of Jesus and Him begins to continue to tear down barriers between people. That we would find in the one faith, in the one Father, in the one Spirit, in the one Gospel, reconciliation, unity in Christ Jesus, for it's in Him alone that we find what is sustainable. So the question, come on band, in conclusion is you and I as God's people, how are we continuing to plant seeds? How are we then continuing to water seeds? It happens intentionally. It happens as the Spirit prompts. To be a bridge because as Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Romans 15.1, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. My challenge for many of you and those listening and many of you that are here today, is if you're going to take risks, take risks for kingdom's sake. If you're going to take risks, take risks for individual people that Jesus died for. If you're going to take risk on your job, if you're going to take risk for your business, take risks for the one, for the individual that Jesus died for. What do you mean? That you would learn to get away from the mob and get away from what others are doing and what's easily accepted in your field or the history of your field. 
And as you get alone with the one King Jesus Christ and you see the image that you're creating, and you would go back into those places. The places where the majority and authority might have closed doors to those that are outsiders and you would be a bridge to open doors for people. To bring outsides to the inside. You say, make it more practical. Okay, listen, that you would learn to live out the reality that when it comes to who you give a loan to, that it wouldn't be based on the color of skin or their background, it would be the content of their character. For the person in the human relations department, the person who's in charge of hiring, that when you see a qualified person who's got the content of good character regardless of color and skin and regardless of practices of hiring in the past, when you find a qualified person, though they're an outsider, they're not a part of the majority, that you would be a door opener and make an outsider become a part of the inside, the inside of that industry. That you would learn to be a door opener. Those that have the power to approve loans at the car lot, at the bank, that regardless of whether someone's an outsider as far as background or color or skin, if they're qualified, you would be the one. You would be the one that as you're alone with Jesus, you get strengthened to resist the mob mentality. The mob mentality that would try to get you to coward to the norm, but take risks for individual people that Jesus died for who are qualified, though they might be an outsider, though they might look different, though they might have a different upbringing. Listen, this takes kingdom vision. Kingdom vision to keep sowing. I want to tell you, all of us are called to be empowered by the Spirit to make outsiders become insiders in the kingdom of God, but also outsiders of the majority authority to become insiders. Insiders in the American dream. That those that are qualified, we're not talking about identity politics, but we're talking about those that are qualified regardless of color, skin, and background. That you and I, if we're in positions of authority as the people of God, we would be t- willing to take the risk. Because can I confess something to you? Though from very kindergarten and first grade had friends that didn't look like me. I look back and see it's very easy to connect and get along when it's one-on-one with those that's not like you. But you know what else I found? Because our vulnerability of sin and selfishness is when I get back to people, my own group that's just like me, it's easy to get swept up in the mob mentality and to let the ungodly jokes, ungodly biases, ungodly stereotypes, the language of those people It's easy to get swept up in that when you're with the mob. God's called us to get alone with the king and get strengthened by his image so that when we're not just with the one person who's different than us, we're able to get along and stand for them. But when we're back in the mob, when we're back in our own group, we're able to stand up for the minorities. We're able to stand up for the outsiders when we're back in the majority of the group. That we would be a bridge, we would be a voice. The voice of God that He created all and in Christ all can back through Christ be reconciled to Him through repentance and faith in Jesus. We would see the implications of that practically in our business practices, in our offices, in our banks, in our schools, in our churches. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. 
would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.